Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let us pray together. Lord, you do desire to bless us with every good gift that comes from above. Yet often we fail to receive because we run from you and run after things of this world. Lord, I've asked that you would forgive us. Wherever we have individually or collectively as a church loved the world more than we've loved you. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, that you would rest upon each individual, open our hearts and minds, give us a hunger and a thirst for you and you alone. I do pray against any spirit of Satan that would try to interfere or distract or bring fear or confusion. We ask for your spirit of truth to speak clearly to each one of us. Amen. Well, if you've been following here for a few months, whether online or here in person, maybe on radio, there are many people listening on radio now, that um, you know that I've been saying without hesitancy that we are a nation that is under judgment. And yet I have emphasized that judgment is an act of love on the part of God calling his people to repentance. And he sent many, many warnings to the people of Israel over long periods of time through the prophets calling them to repentance. And occasionally they would. Occasionally pagans would. You know, he sent Jonah to the Ninevites calling them to repentance. And there was a great revival there. And I believe God is calling people across the world to repentance to come to him. And it is a critical time, perhaps more so in this country than in any other place, because I believe we are at a juncture that is one of the most important in the history of the country. You could think of the time of the founding of the nation, that it had to be the providential hand of God to even bring this nation into existence. But the most critical time following that was the American Civil War, because in that case it was not an outside enemy, but an enemy from within fighting ourselves, and that's largely where we are today that it's not an outside enemy, it is an enemy that has worked its way within. It really is an external enemy in that it is Satan and the spirits of darkness that are attacking, but attacking from within. And of course, there have been other very significant times in history, like at the outbreak of World War II and things of that nature. But again, that was an attack from without. And the nation arose, what we now refer to as the great generation that that is dying off day by day, that that generation arose and stood against the darkness in the world. And I believe what God is calling right now is for the church to arise and stand against the darkness within and throughout the world. I believe we are in an unprecedented time of where the darkness is pouring out in significant ways. Think of it like this. If you were a a historian 
and you were talking about decadence and sexual immorality. You might talk about the time of the Romans at their zenith, really when they were starting down, or the Greeks or something like that, where there was pagan worship in the temples and temple prostitution and all that. But that pales in comparison to the sexual immorality of the time in which we live. Do you realize that just in the world that, that we have become an increasingly dark place that blasphemes the holiness of God? And so God is calling the world to repentance, calling us as a nation to repentance because the world largely looks to us and we've been setting a poor example for some time period. Now, there's still plenty of Christians who hunger and thirst for God but largely what I've been saying during this season is that the church has loved the world more than it has loved God. In fact, I have said for years the enemy of maturity has been what? Pleasure and comfort and all the material things that we have in this world. And you see, God is saying those are coming to a halt. What can you hold on to? Him and him alone. And so this is why we've been talking about if the church repents... And see, it has to be the church. You cannot expect society to repent without the church first bringing forth the model, the example of what it means to be humble before God. That there is a requirement for the church to repent right now, to model holiness, that there would be a transformation in our hearts, a fresh power in our lives, that you and I would impact the world around us. That if the church humbles itself, if the church repents, then society can be impacted. But it will not happen the other way around. And so I've been talking about what is a true church? What should we look like? And so we've looked at these characteristics that it must love God and stop loving the world. That it must fear him. That we must have a reverent respect for who he is. That we must aspire to holiness. Now, look, what I'm talking about about a true church starts with you and I individually, that I would be a true disciple of Christ. Now, I do not know what will happen in the future. We are at a critical crossroads. Things could get far worse. But you are prepared to live in that and deal with it if you are a true disciple of Christ. And so this is a message for us as individuals, but also for the collective church that you must be a person who loves God and doesn't love the world, who fears him, who aspires to holiness, that you and I must proclaim the truth. Far too much of the church has compromised on what is truth. And we've done so because we love the world. And then we must be people who genuinely love others. In fact, it's just amazing to me what some Christians are doing right now. Like I mentioned the, the two ladies who were on the Wise Up program I did back in the spring who voluntarily went to New York City to be uh, NI, not NICU, but ICU nurses, volunteered to go and work with COVID patients. And both of them knew the Lord and felt led of God to go and do so, that they were showing extraordinary love for God. In fact, the young lady who went there finished her contract and then just recently decided she's going to accept another contract in another city to go and work with COVID patients. And you see, God is calling us to love people extraordinarily. In fact, a spirit-filled individual loving others has the best impact upon society around us. And so where we were last week was talking about <clears throat> another characteristic of a true church is one that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And of course, if you've been a part of this church for a while, you know that I have for years emphasized the necessity of every single one of us being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. That I do not understand how any church could claim to really be a true model of what Christ wants without an emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. And yet, church history is riddled with many, many religious undertakings in which the Holy Spirit was shunned or pushed completely from the mainstream of what was going on. In fact, much of church history is really the work of man in the flesh doing religious things rather than what the Spirit of God is doing. And you and I need to understand that the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in the world right now. And we can partake and participate or we can sit on the sidelines and not even really view what he is doing. But each one of us needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is why I left us last week encouraging you that you would make it your prayer day by day, repetitively, that the Holy Spirit would fill you afresh. Every single one of us needs a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day for the things that he has called us to in that moment. And so we were talking last week about the scripture in Zechariah where God himself spoke to the prophet Zechariah a message for Zerubbabel. And remember that Zerubbabel was a young man who had grown up during the Babylonian captivity. He was born in Babylon. And that God had called him during the time after the Assyrians had conquered the Babylonians to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his army. And not only did God call him to do it, God equipped him by giving him favor with the Assyrian king, Cyrus, and so forth to go back, gave them the financing to do so, and then he gave them this prophecy that came through Zechariah because temple construction had started and then it had stalled. And the prophecy to Zerubbabel was that you had laid the foundation and you will lay the capstone. You will complete the task that God has given you. However, he said it would not be by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And he was making a very strong emphasis that what Zerubbabel was called to do would not be accomplished in the ingenuity of man. It would not be accomplished by human power. It would be accomplished by the Spirit of the Lord. And you see, that's what you and I need to recognize and understand right now, that anything good that is taking place in the world will be accomplished not by might nor by power, not by human beings. We might be crying out and expecting humans to orchestrate things, to correct things. It won't happen. There's, there's just going to be a, an ongoing complexity of problems that humans cannot solve. But what good things will occur will be by the Spirit of God at work in his body in the church. And you see, our heart's desire should be to find and participate where he is working. And it's all around you. I guarantee you there are people right around you right now who are more open to hear the gospel than at any time in years. In fact, people looking at what's going on online, the online searches for people looking for answers is exponential with regard to Christian things. Even Bible sales have, have grown exponentially recently. 
And so there, there is a hunger. People may pretend one thing, but they, there is a lot of fear. And in that fear, there are people who are looking for answers. And so in talking about this last week, we said that this is the gift that God had promised, that he would send the Holy Spirit, that he would clothe us with power. Now, here's the problem, though. Much of the contemporary church has wanted power from the Holy Spirit with wrong motives. That is, we have wanted the Holy Spirit to give us power so that we might have a prideful position of authority over people or accomplishing things or saying that I'm better than others. We have not desired the power of the Spirit for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. Because you see, if you are going to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, what has to happen in you? You have to become less. And see, we've wanted the Holy Spirit to make me more. But I must die that he arise. The filling of the Holy Spirit that is true and powerful comes as you and I surrender. See, this is why Peter could not be filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed like he was on the day of Pentecost until such time as he had denied Christ and his spirit was broken. You see, Peter, there was something in him that died when he denied Christ three times, the one that he loved. And in fact, when Jesus asked him the three times about, do you love me? Peter was wounded in his heart, realizing what Jesus was doing. He was ashamed. In his pride, he was the one that was going to cut off the ear of the captor and prevent Jesus from being taken. But in his brokenness, in humility, he realized he had denied him. And you see, then in when, when that part of him died, when the prideful part died, then Christ could arise. And see, that's what needs to happen in the church in this country and, and probably in much, many parts of the world is that the prideful part of us needs to die. And in so doing, the Spirit of God could arise. So this is what we were talking about last week, that he would send the Spirit, that the Spirit would be in us, See, when you are saved, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you, but then the Spirit wants greater control of you. He constantly wants greater control of every one of us because he's a perfect gentleman. He waits for you to surrender, to you to die, in order that his Spirit might take greater authority in your life. Do you realize that there's some people, as they go through life, that they so surrender to the Lord that those around them just realize there's something special about them without even knowing what it is? In fact, just in, within the last week, a Facebook friend of mine is a young lady that was a student that I had many years ago when I was teaching at a college. And she posted something about her grandfather. And he passed away several years ago, but she posted a picture of him and said today would have been his 90th birthday. And uh, she wrote all these wonderful things about him. Where well, her grandfather was also a professor at that school. And I knew him for many years. He was a professor of music, and he was like the person who did choir and all those kinds of things. And I just happened to see her post, and I was reading it, and I reflected back on him briefly. And I, this is the thought that I had in my mind. He was one of the most joyful people I have ever known in my entire life. I mean, if I could write down, say, the top five most joyful people I have ever known, he would be right up there. And so I just pasted on there. I said, your grandfather 
was one of the most joyful human beings I've ever known. And then as I reflected upon it, it had to be the Spirit of God so rich and alive in him. He was just kind and loving to everybody. I never saw anything different from him. Always joyful and always loving. See, the Spirit of God indwelled him so richly that even if you did not know the Lord, you would know there was something special about that man. This is what God desires in his church right now is that we would be so richly filled with him that we would be evidence of his presence everywhere. And so, of course, we talked last week about this idea that at Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out and Peter declared that this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied, that these are the last days. And if Peter and the disciples then thought that they were in the last days, you and I should do so a hundredfold greater that the Spirit of God would be poured out, that people would prophesy, both men and women, that they would have visions and dreams and that God would be working through his servants. And you see, I believe this is going on. But you see, the religious, man-controlled church cannot see it. And there's far too much of that. But it's happening individual by individual where you walk in the power of the Spirit of God. This is why I've said the, 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 uh, the organizational chart for the true church is completely flat. There is no hierarchy. That the Spirit of God is poured out upon every single individual calling you to be the representative of Christ wherever you are in life. And so this week, I want to continue to talk about the fact that the true church must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Any fears that we have had that have kept us from what the Spirit wanted to do in our lives, any background issues, any religious strongholds, they need to be vanquished in order that the Spirit of God might be in us richly and fully for His purposes. And so I want to go here to this scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul, the apostle, is talking at, and he says, about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, he's stating very clearly, I want you to understand that there are gifts from God, spiritual gifts, that are very good and very important. I do not want you to be confused or ignorant. Yet, when it comes to the subject of spiritual gifts in the history of the church, especially, say, in the last hundred years, what would mark this, this title of spiritual gifts through, across all denominations? Well, what you would find is great confusion, great disagreement, sometimes great excess, sometimes great resistance. Now, if spiritual gifts are given and they are good, all of the things I've just described could not be the function of God. In other words, God has not, is not the one with regard to spiritual gifts who has created confusion and resistance and disagreement and all those kinds of things. It's that the spirits of evil want so much for the church to be ineffective. The reason there is so much confusion and so much disagreement in this area is because the spirits of evil want the church to be ineffective and largely the spirits of evil have been successful. We are in a spiritual war and if we look at the landscape of society, we are losing. Is that not true? I mean, I don't think you can make an argument strongly that the church is winning the spiritual battle. 
Now, maybe in some parts of the world, in some pockets of the world, that's probably true. Like I mentioned, what's going on among Christians in Iran, of all places, in recent times. Maybe the church there is starting to win the spiritual battle because it's under such persecution. Maybe in China, where persecution is just increasing all of the time. Persecution is increasing in India. I learned just this week of several Christians who were murdered simply for their faith in India. Maybe where that's going on, the church is stronger and standing for truth, but the church in this country is largely anemic. And I must emphasize again, it is because we have loved the world more than we love God. Do you realize that? It is absolutely the case that the church in this country has even compromised theology to set it in such a way to say that it's okay to love the world. To say that it's okay to love the sinful nature, to love sinful indulgence. It is not. And so Paul was saying about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now he first sets the stage for understanding this. He says, when you were pagans, you were often led astray to mute idols. In other words, you worship things that were not of God. And anything in this world can become an idol. Anything that you own or any relationship, anything of that nature can become an idol. Even religion can become an idol. And he was saying that idols are mute, meaning that they have no power to speak, no authority, and that you were led astray by those. But then he clarifies what is the difference between the true spirit and a false one. He says, I tell you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God may say, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And you see, there are two critical things there. Anytime, anywhere, when you encounter somebody who is degrading the name of Christ in some form, undermining his power, his authority, his position, compromising who he is, or anyone who would say that he's just one of many prophets or something of that nature, that he's not the God, that is never by the Holy Spirit. You know, there are a lot of things said in churches, in organizations, supposedly representing God, but they are not from the Holy Spirit. There is false teaching that has infiltrated the church in many different places. You know, one of the things that personally I am finding astounding is as I reflect back over about the last two years of what I believe the Lord has led me to teach about false teachers. Some of you will remember that series. Remember earlier of the series about anger? Remember I asked the question, is there anything in the world about which God could be angry? And we all just sort of laughed and said, oh, is there? Or about urgency? It just keeps reminding me over and over that the Spirit of God has been preparing probably all over the world, lots of people, to say you need to understand the signs of the times. I did that teaching last fall, having no idea where we're going to be right now. It's like now, in retrospect, things are clear. That God is saying to his church, come to me, seek him, and seek him above everything else. Repent of everything else you love. Seek the power of his spirit, not for yourself, not for your personal gain, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That we might stand against the, not only stand against the darkness, but push it back. 
And so, see, Paul was saying nobody can say Jesus be cursed, which is said all over the world in many different ways all of the time. That's not from the Spirit of God. Nor can you understand the Holy Spirit speaking, or excuse me, nor can you understand who Jesus is unless the Holy Spirit speaks. And see, I know this so clearly because I became a Christian later in life, is that the gospel message went by me many times, I'm sure, before I came to know Christ. In fact, I can even remember watching a Billy Graham crusade and nothing happening in my mind. Now, why was that? Because my heart was cold, my, I was prideful, I was not yet humble and broken and didn't have ears to hear, and the Holy Spirit had not illuminated my mind, not that he didn't want to, but because my heart would not listen. And I had to come to a place of brokenness and difficulty in life before the Holy Spirit could then illuminate my mind and I could understand who Jesus really is. And I remember within days of accepting Christ, laying awake one night, reading the book of John, because somebody said to start there, reading the book of John, could not put it down. I had to go to work the next day, but I stayed up practically all night reading that thing, and the one thing that kept going through my mind is, this is true. Like, see, up until then, anything I'd ever heard about Jesus was just some story that somebody was telling. But then, see, it was the Holy Spirit saying, Jesus is Lord. What I was reading was the truth. I did not know that before. And see, no person can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so having declared this, this this extreme proclamation of, look, it's the Spirit of God working and bringing every person unto him, This is why you don't have to worry about having all the right words to do evangelism and things like that. And you don't have to get a person in a headlock and say, now accept Christ. It's you just you just represent Christ and trust the Holy Spirit's working in them. I'm going to tell you this story again. Some of you remember I told it when I came back from um, Ireland, but it, it, it was on my mind so strongly last night. And I think it's so important for all of us to think of. See, I had this little short flight from London, England to Ireland, less than an hour. And I got on and I sat down beside this lady who was probably in her 70s. And uh, she was a nice, sweet Scottish lady. And, of course, I was looking for an opportunity to ask her about her spiritual beliefs and try to evangelize her a little bit. And uh, we talked for a few minutes, and next thing you know, she fell asleep. And I was like, huh, I really wanted to talk to her, right? And... uh, so I thought, well, that was a good idea. I took a short nap myself. And uh, then I woke up. I looked over. She's still asleep. I'm like, oh. I was really wanting to evangelize her in some way. And about 10 minutes before we were to land, she finally woke up. And I finally just got around to asking her about her spiritual beliefs. And so I'm an, I'm an atheist. I'm like, oh. She was a sweet atheist. She was. She was very nice, very proper. But uh, she's, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, whoa. I asked her to explain why. So I believe in scientific things and so forth and so on. And she said all the problems of religion. And she talked about the conflict in Northern Ireland where Catholics and Protestants had fought each other for so long and all that. And I was just listening to her for a little while. And, and uh, then I said, well, I'm a pastor. So I'm so sorry. Not, not that I was a pastor, that she had said she was an atheist in front of a pastor, right? As if she had offended me. And she was a sweet atheist, remember? And... Um, 
so I kept looking for an inroads. I kept talking to her, trying to really represent Christ to her. And, and uh, I think I said some things like, you know, I don't believe in religion either. I think religion is men's problem. And I just talk about, tried to talk about a true relationship with Jesus. And we landed. And interestingly enough, it was a scary landing. I didn't know this at the time, but the plane was started doing this right as we were about to land, and I thought the wing was going to hit the tarmac. I really did. I mean, it really started doing this, and I thought, this is one bad pilot, right? And we landed, and we got out, and we had to walk down the uh, steps and walk across the tarmac, and we walked down through there, and the wind was like 50 miles an hour. Then I realized why the plane was doing this, and I thought, that was one good pilot, right? And... But she was walking away, walking toward the uh, end of the building in front of me. And this is the thought that came to my mind. And I was praying fervently for her. I'd said goodbye to her and everything in a nice way. But I was thinking, is that the last time she will hear the gospel in this life? I was really thinking, is that the last time she will have any hearing of the gospel? She was not a young woman. And you see, you and I need to realize that every opportunity God puts before us may be a critical opportunity. I could not force her to come to accept Christ. Didn't even really have the time to get deeply into a discussion with her. But the Spirit of God was undoubtedly doing something. And I prayed fervently for her. In fact, I was praying for her yesterday. And so you and I may not, we may think that some of the things we do face-to-face are important. And maybe our prayers are more important. Because it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the mind of any person to come to accept Christ. Now then, as Paul goes on in this section in, in Corinthians, he says there are different kinds of gifts. He says different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working. But it's all God that is working them. And you see... All of these things that I'm going to discuss today, and I found out last night it's going to extend into next week. See, the Saturday night crowd always gets a little little extra, and then you get the refined version. But you see, there are many different things that God has given to the church body to be effective, but the spirits of evil always want to undermine those. And so right here in Corinthians, Paul starts talking about the manifestations of the Spirit for what purpose? For the common good. That every gift that is given is given for the common good. Yet there are those, supposedly within the church, who would say that some gifts are better than others. Or some people would attack some of the gifts, even saying that a gift like tongues is from the devil. People have said such things. How could it be that God himself poured out that gift and then there be something that somebody would say it's from the devil? Now, let me be careful, though. There are always counterfeits. With every gift of God that is a true gift, the spirits of evil will try to counterfeit it and deceive people and lead them astray. So we have to be wise and understanding. But every gift of the Holy Spirit of any type is for the common good. Now, some of you, I've talked to a lot of people when I've been talking about it with them about different things, that you grew up in backgrounds where you never heard anything about the Holy Spirit, nothing about gifts. I've, I've asked people, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, I really don't know anything. And yet, if that is the case, that is the church being weak and ineffective. Probably because they're deceived. 
But the gifts are given for the common good. And to the extent that the gifts are not functioning in the body of Christ, by definition, that which is common is not good. You realize that? That it's not fully effective, not fully influential, not fully as powerful as it could be if the gifts were working the way that God would desire And see, this is why I was saying last week, you and I need to pray all of the time that we would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit because I need a fresh filling, fresh giftings from God just to deal with today. Do you realize that? That Just think of where we were a year ago versus today. Do you need fresh things from God to deal with life right now? Yes. I need fresh wisdom. So this is where he starts. He says, look, To the one given through the Holy Spirit is the message of wisdom or the gift of wisdom. There is not a human being alive who could say, I have sufficient wisdom. I might have had sufficient wisdom for yesterday, but I need something new for today. Or you might encounter a a person in a conversation and you're trying to help them and you lack wisdom for that moment. This happens to me a lot when people come to me for counseling and I'm trying to help them. I'm often at a place where I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And yet I realize that the Lord always opens the door and gives insight that I might be able to help in that moment in some way. Sometimes when I'm done, I'm like, wow, that was good. I wished I had thought of it. In other words, it was like the Lord gave me an insight. I helped them with it, and then I thought, that was good, Lord. You see, every person here should be praying every day, I want fresh wisdom. See, likewise, it says to another is given a message of knowledge. Is it not true that you need not, knowledge is understanding what you cannot understand apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind with it? Wisdom is thinking as God thinks. The two are very related. You need wisdom and knowledge right now. That's why I've said I've been paying less attention to the media, trying to listen more to the Holy Spirit about what is his wisdom, what is he saying about the world right now. In fact, those gentlemen who came to the uh, Promise Keepers Conference or who watched it online, there was a pastor from, uh, he's from Franklin, Tennessee, or Murfreesboro, named Steve Berger, who spoke on Friday night, the last teaching on Friday night. And it, it, look it up online. Everybody needs to see it. I put, reposted it on the Celebration Church community, or yeah, it says Celebration Church Tri-Cities community group. I reposted it there last night. Everybody needs to see it. The, the word that he was given is exactly what I think the Lord has been speaking to me. And it's very much about this is a critical time. It is a call to repentance. It is a crossroads. We are a nation that must turn to God. Otherwise, the future does not look so good. And you see, I believe the Lord was giving him wisdom and knowledge for that statement. I strongly encourage you to look that up. Just go to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Community Group Facebook page. I posted it there last night. And see, likewise, he goes on to say there are other gifts. He says, to another, there's given a gift of faith. This is a supernatural gift of faith. You see, every person receives a gift of faith to come to salvation. Because salvation itself is a gift from God, not of works, so that no man can boast. And it is by faith, through grace, the faith that you receive in order to accept Christ is itself a gift from God. 
But throughout your Christian journey, you will need increasing gifts of faith. There are many times when you will maybe step out and take risk and you need additional faith for that moment. Or there are times when hardship comes your way beyond anything you've ever encountered in your life. And in that moment, you need faith to sustain you that you've never had before. I just look around the room and I know the stories of many people's lives here. And I know that there's seasons where you needed faith more than you've ever needed it. And God meets you in that moment. Those of you who've lost close loved ones or been through very, very difficult trials. And the Spirit of God gifts people with faith. So every day, all of us should be praying, Lord, I want more faith. I need greater faith just to speak to the person that you would have me speak to or to, or to step out and do whatever it is that you call me to do or to trust that you're going to provide for my needs. Maybe you're one of the persons who lost your job during this season and you're, you're like, everything's bad that everybody's losing their job and how can I find a new job? And the Lord would say, trust me, he will provide. There's one young man in this church. I found out that he lost his job. I contacted him and, and just to encourage him and found out he'd already found another job. And he liked his new job. He was excited about it. See, all of the gifts are given for the common good to help us. Then it, there's the gift of healing. Now, see, in this list, the two gifts that are most often uh, pointed out are gifts of healing and gifts of tongues. And both are valid gifts. This is what this church has always taught. We believe that God supernaturally heals. We believe the gift of tongues is real. But the problem is in the church, too many times, we've taken those gifts and made idols of them. There's some parts of the church that have made idols of those gifts. But does God still supernaturally heal? Well, I think so. How many people in this room would say that you have experienced a personal healing that was beyond natural? That it was something that God did. See, just look around the room at all the hands that go up. Same thing happened last night. Now, the fact is, though, that there is no person who has a gift of healing and can heal every person they ever pray for. If they could, what would be the problem? Pride would be rampant. The television shows would want to have them on all of the time, and they would just fall. This is why your faith cannot be in, in a person, not faith in your own faith. You have faith and you trust God. Trust him, not an outcome. And sometimes he supernaturally heals in this world. Sometimes healing is taking the person to heaven. You know, I've been with a lot of people who have prayed for somebody to be supernaturally healed in this world and they have died and they have gained. And we need to learn that this is a reality, that it's not about this world, that all of us are going to die. In fact, I posted this week, I hope you'll share it everywhere. I posted it, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, a video about, are you prepared? I made it a little short, about four-minute video that's about, are you prepared to die? And I, I, would, I hope that you'll post it everywhere because there are people who need to be at this place of saying, am I prepared? A lot of people are unprepared. In this list, there's also the a gift of miraculous powers. Now, I don't have a gift of doing miracles. I don't know that I've seen a lot of miracles except for I got a wife. That was a miracle. <laughs> Remember, I'm romantically challenged, so it was... 
But now there are miracles. In fact, there was a guy here last night, and, and as I'm speaking, I looked at him and said, can I tell your story? And he's like, yes. Some of you know David Miller. He, he was, he's a very fit-looking man. He was a, I think he was an Army Ranger. No, he's in the Army. I think he was a Ranger. And uh, he was out cycling a couple years ago. It started to rain, so they pulled over under the awning of a business or something like that. He said, I felt a little dizzy. That was it. Down he went. He had a massive heart attack. People he was riding with knew CPR, started doing CPR on him. Then, of course, emergency people showed up. They did a CPR on him for 20 minutes, got him to the hospital, kept him alive. Eventually, he had quadruple bypass surgery. And the doctor who did the surgery said to him that people who have what you had, there's a 5%, less than 5% chance of survival. And he's healthy and fit. Back riding his bicycle again. And I believe he's a walking miracle. Or remember Ruthie Rogers? Remember? She was in a car wreck, traumatic brain injury, all these broken bones, never had to have a single surgery. She's functioning and healthy and fine today. Back in school, doing well. It's a miracle. So God still does miracles. That was a miracle of healing. God still does miracles. Miracles, And in fact, see, as a church, should we be praying, Lord, that you would pour out healing, that you would pour out miracles through us, but not for our pride, for advancing the kingdom of God? Maybe you recognize a, a place where there is extreme darkness and you're calling for the Spirit of God to come and, and to come to bear in that situation and use you to stand against the darkness. In fact, there are a lot of Christians who need to take authority over the darkness in their workplace. That you need to, as you walk in every day, take authority over the darkness and in the name of Jesus. And then among this gift is the gift of prophecy. And of course, there are false prophets. There are people who've said things that are not of God. But I listened to a, a prophet who in January of this year, he said this. He said, he believed God was saying everything that can be shaken will be shaken in the next four months. He said that in January. I think he was right. Now, that's why you have to be discerning, though, because there are a lot of people who blast out a lot of things that just aren't true. But God has always raised up prophets. People say, oh, there are no prophets today. God has always raised up prophets to speak into the body, to encourage the body, to give direction to the body about what is going on or what's coming. I'm telling you, we are in the last days. I know the Lord has been saying to me for quite a while, he is coming soon. But remember I've said, I don't know the definition to soon. I don't know if it's short or long, but he's coming. And he's coming soon. And the list is discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. Boy, does the body of Christ need that. That the demonic is at work all over the place. There's strongholds in, in areas, in people. And the body of Christ needs people who discern when the demonic is at work in a certain place. Oftentimes when I'm counseling somebody, the Lord gives me discernment that there is a spirit, like a lying spirit or a sexually perverse spirit or something like that, that has authority over that person. And I start finding asking questions trying to find out how did it get there is it generational did it come through their own sin did it come through some trauma that some spirit has gotten authority over that person 
See, this is one of the things every father particularly needs to be doing is breaking any authority that the spirits of evil have had in your family history so that it would not be passed on to the next generation. See, the sins of the fathers are passed to the third and fourth generation often because there's no repentance in each generation. But a generation that stands up and repents can take authority over the darkness so that such spirits aren't cast on to the next generation. But you have to discern what is it. And then he talks about the gift of tongues, which, of course, has been the most controversial. But look, there are, there's an infinite number of things about which to pray that you and I cannot understand. Do you realize that? I, I had a person say to me, why would I want to pray something I don't understand? I wanted to ask, but I, you know how I'm always too nice. Well, not always. But, but I wanted to ask, what makes you think you understand everything already? There are, there's an infinite number of things that you and I do not understand in this world. The longer I live, the less I understand about the magnitude, the majesty of what God has created. When I was 16, I knew everything, but not anymore. Most people pass through that phase around 15, 16. Some start earlier. Some start at three. But you see, but yet now look at the bottom. It says, just as he determines. You know, there are those who overemphasize tongues. And you've got to have this. And, and then they say, oh, you're better than other people. And they, they parade it around. They're proud of themselves and things of that nature. The humble person is used by God to pray in this way about things that humans cannot understand. And then there's interpretation of tongues. I've been in settings where I've seen that occur, heard it occur, and, and really believed it was from the Lord. One example was this lady, she stood up during a worship service. It was very quiet. She began to speak in tongues. A, I knew the lady, and I respected her. She was not just some oddball. Right behind her was a person who then, when she was finished, gave the interpretation. And then afterward, there was another man on the other side of the church building who came forward and said, if that man had not said that, I would have because the Lord gave me the exact same interpretation, which was a confirmation that this was clearly from the Lord. It was edifying to the body. Why does God do that? I have not the foggiest idea. I don't. I mean, why does he choose to do things that way? I don't know. But why did he choose to create the armadillo? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? There are just thousands of things in the world. You look at him and go, I don't know why he did that. But I'm glad he did. He knows what he's doing. And you see, every gift is from the Lord. They're given by the Spirit as he determines. And where we're going to go next week is the Scripture says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now, that, the church has tended to do one of two things. Either say, run from spiritual gifts, have nothing to do with them, be afraid of them, or desire them for your personal gain. Both are wrong. You see, your motive must be, I want the Spirit of God to pour out in me in order that his kingdom would be more powerful in this world. But remember, for that to occur, you must die. 
you and I must become less and less in order for him to be more living through us. Remember all of his early disciples, but one died as martyrs. It's believed that John was the only one who, who received the revelation. He lived later and perhaps did not desire, die as a martyr, but the rest did. And church history believes that Peter was crucified upside down. And yet I'm certain when we get the opportunity to talk to them in heaven, they would say it was all worth it. And see, I believe God is calling his church to be a true church. But it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must be done with religion. Any religious entanglement that has been upon you, be done with it. I was talking this week with Scott Limerick. Remember Scott, he's the representative from Compassion International. He's been here whenever we've done the compassion experience, things like that. Great person. And he just, he loves the Lord, loves people, loves what he does in raising support for these children around the world. And he, Scott's a softball player, and uh, he's apparently a very good one. He travels a lot and so forth. And, and he said recently he was at a softball tournament in Knoxville. He lives in Charlotte. And a guy walked up to him and said, I hear you're really religious. And Scott was like, no, not really. See, I have a relationship with Jesus, but not religion. And you know, there's an important part to that. It's not about the constructs of man. It's about a personal relationship with him, his spirit empowering you to do what could not be done apart from him. Not in your strength, not in your power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Well, the worship band is going to come back promptly. Look at that. They were ready. Last night, they were eating donuts. Well, maybe not. But they're going to come back. And I encourage you. Invite the Holy Spirit to do a fresh filling in you, a fresh work, and to impart every gift that he wants to give. You see, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Invite him to do a fresh work in you. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.